Well, I'm going to introduce, at the time, I actually had a one, we had a board member who was terrific. He's been a great mentor to me over the course of my career. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm going to introduce you to this guy uh, who's on the board. And then we'll introduce you to the CEO. And I think the board member is going to tell the CEO that he, he needs to hire you. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy looks at me, he's like, you're out of your mind. Like, what do you think the chances are? I'm like, I don't know, a million to one, but who cares? Like, we got to try. Uh, sure enough, like plan went off without a hitch, apparently. Um, Cause I introduced him to the board member who introduced him to the CEO. And next thing you know, probably two months later, he's showing up as, you know, he's showing up as my boss. Um, I immediately, as soon as the day he walked in, I was his one direct report. And then I became his tour guide for the, around the company for about a month and a half while he basically did an assessment of the company. All the senior operations team got really nervous and bent out of shape and either and uh, Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. So listeners, welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For information on our guests and downloading this episode, go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. Click on podcasts and you can find out information on the great Jamie Peace. <laughs> welcome, Jamie. Well, I'm glad to be here, Jeremy. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah. 245. Yeah, we look pretty good. Well, I mean, I, this week, I already know I'm setting myself up for something right here, right? It's a loose royal. <laughs> so fellow Marine, <clears throat> here to share some wisdom with the rest of the podcast world. We use that term loosely as loosely. well in terms of wisdom. So you've been listening to some of these, so you know I have to start every one of these with a joke. According yeah, to I, I brought a joke for you too. So, oh, you did? Yeah. You're the first person to bring one. Yeah, well, I mean, come on. Well, you go first. No, 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 no. This is this is your stage. Okay. All right. So this one I found to be fitting since it's in the energy sector related. What is a wind turbine's favorite color? I don't even have a remote guess here. Blue. <laughs> Get it? Blue. Wind. Blue. No. That did that. That that one tanked hard. <laughs> I mean, that one literally just went over like a fart in church, right? <laughs> I, I'm I'm still thinking about it. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Did you tell it to anybody else before you told it mm -hmm. on the show? Okay. No, and well, maybe I, and, you should do a dry run. And my next last time. two have bombed. This one bombed, and my poor NBA one bombed. So yeah. I think I'm gonna have to like run these by someone before I do these because I, I really thought I didn't not clearly I didn't think this one I didn't <laughs> well, you want to hear mine yeah let's hear it. uh what the fish say when he swam into a wall what did the fish say when he swam into a wall I don't know damn <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna make this next hour and a half of cheesy dad jokes <laughs> Clearly, you win. I can't, I can't, on this one. I can't remember any jokes. That's I've, that's probably the only joke I've been able to remember for the past thirty years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the audience has no idea just how funny it is that you're here. Uh, mainly because I typically say when Jamie starts talking to me, if he's here, no one's running hell. 
because he's always mean to me. He's always saying that I look overweight and I look gray, any number of things. So I don't expect that to be any different on this. So if anything that the audience gets out of this will at least be a good laugh. Well, hopefully everybody will be a little bit entertained. Yeah. yeah. So Actually, I brought you a gift. You brought me a gift? I brought you a hat. You brought me a hat. Look at this. TSS. Total Sand Solution. That's actually a good looking hat. Yeah. Oh, I, well, thank you. See, I, I'm now I am I am very suspect. <laughs> when you come bearing gifts, I'm like I'm like all right. There's 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 nothing's for free. In well, this I world. just I just figured you know you were nice enough to ask me to come join you on your podcast. I should you know bring you our latest and greatest uh, piece of swag from the company and. And I'm a whore for free swag, too. I'm I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm a whore for anything free. (laughs) (laughs) But, well, uh, before we go into talking about some what's going on in the energy space, let's let the audience know who Jamie Peace is. Uh, As we often joke, you could be friends with a cactus and a rock, and I know how much you love talking about yourself. Uh, That was my facetious tone. By the way, I had to look up what that word meant. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you grew up in Maryland. Grew up in Maryland. Um, <clears throat> grew up on a farm on the eastern shore of Maryland. Uh, both my parents, they were self-employed. They ran a wholesale tree and shrub nursery. Um, you know, my bro- it was my, myself and my younger brother. And uh, he has since gone on to take over the family business. He's running the nursery uh, and growing, growing it quite successfully and, and, and really enjoying that. He started doing that. I mean, he got into the nursery business right after he got out of college and then ended up at the, you know, taking over the, the family business a couple of years later, probably three, four years later, uh, while I was, you know, still gallivanting around the world. Um, but yeah, so I grew up in Maryland, uh, ended up going to college at the Naval Academy. I think the, when, you know, people, people are always, you know, when they hear that, like, oh, well, you know, do you always want to be in the military? And, uh, that is not the case. Uh, I don't even, I'm not even sure if I really truly grasped that I was going to be in the military until after I got to the Naval Academy. It might've been two years into the Naval Academy. <laughs> actually became a reality. Like, what, I took a wrong time? Yeah. Like, how the hell I get here? Um, and the, I mean, the long and short of it is I, uh, I, I went to the Naval Academy because when I went and looked at other colleges, not, nothing kind of jumped off the map at me. And the Naval Academy at the time, uh, when I was a senior in high school, was recruit was recruiting me to play two sports, um, and ended up only playing one sport while I was there. But uh, that was that was attractive to me. And the Naval Academy felt like, you know, if you get into the Naval Academy, you don't turn down that opportunity. So off I went, um, and it's quite a interesting experience going to school there. I, I, it's, I've got a lot, I mean, obviously a lot of friends that, that went there. There's a varying degree of sort of fondness or how like there's people that are fond of the place and there's people that still feel like they bear the scars and have significant <laughs> disdain. And I still fall into the ladder. There's a, there's a bridge when you go <clears throat> going back into Annapolis from, from East to West uh, and you drive over this bridge, and if you look over to the to the east or over over the left hand side, you see the Naval Academy, and they call it Oh Shit Bridge. 
Because as you're going over, you look over and you see that this place and your stomach sinks and you're like, I'm heading back. It's like this (laughs) overwhelming feeling of, oh shit, I'm heading back. Um, I still get that feeling when I drive over that bridge today. (laughs) (laughs) And... So, I, look, I had no regrets going there in terms of uh, you know, where it's ended up taking me and everything that went with that. But I, I don't look back at those four years with like a, a reverence or extreme fondness that I think a lot of people think about when they think about their college experience or even a lot of folks that went to the Naval Academy. I mean, there was a, there's a lot of rules there. Uh, and the, I think that probably the thing that I got best at was figuring out how to break all of the rules there and not get caught. Uh, and... You never stood a day restriction and broke every rule that I could find. So. <laughs> You're what we call crafty. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. There it was. Uh, yeah, it, you were you were stealth if you were getting away with stuff. Um, so look, I had a great. You ended up, I guess, having some great experiences and some 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 painful experiences uh, while I was there. And even while I was there, I had no idea of really what I wanted to do. My party line was, I'm going to do five years and get out. They used to call it five and dive. I was going to do the easiest path that I could find in terms of, I was like, oh, I'll just go drive ships for a living. That sounds easy. I'll go be a Navy surface warfare officer. And it kind of got to the end, coming into the end of my junior year. And all I knew was I didn't want to sign up for more than five years out of graduating, which meant that I did, I was like, no flying because flying meant you had to do basically nine years. Uh, I had the eyesight and everything and people did, couldn't believe that I didn't want to go fly. And was, the, the time commitment was the long-term time commitment of going to flight school and afterwards, you know, terrified me of making that type of commitment. It was five years and get out, five years and get out. But I n- also didn't know that like this whole driving ships thing was really like that great of an idea. So I left the door open to go do Marine Corps things. Um, so I went and spent, I can't remember, it was four weeks or six weeks at, at Quantico and doing a program they called Leatherneck, which is basically like you go suffer through this and you know, you're allowed to select Marines on the back end if you so choose. And that, that actually was, <clears throat> well, they had more rules and some of the rules I felt were even dumber than the rules I had at the Naval Academy. But I had the opportunity to do like fun, physical, hard things and kind of push myself. And when I got back and the next going into the end of your first semester of your, your last year, or I guess coming in, yeah, going into like January, probably November, December, you put your selections in and I put my selection in. I want to go Marines. And my friends were like, literally like, you've lost your mind. Like you can't, like, we can't even get you to get a Navy regulation haircut. And you like, now you're <laughs> I want to join the Marine Corps. Um, like you have completely lost your mind. And that, that may, that's probably, you know, quite factual. Um, but I ended up you know, getting selected for Marines and uh, went on to, you know, got my head shaved the next day. And after I got, sele- you know, whenever that was, if sometime in the spring, uh, early spring and, off I went to Quantico for the basic school and ultimately went the infantry route. And then, um, you know, for no other reason than I figured if you're going to be a Marine, you might as well be a grunt. Uh, I told that to my like staff platoon commander, who was like the guy in charge of training, 
training us or developing us. And he just started laughing. He was an engineer. He's like, that's the most honest answer anybody's ever given me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was just too stupid to come up with a better answer, I think, or not like not thinking it through well enough that I might actually offend him that I didn't want to do his job. Um, so anyway, anyway, ended up going to the grunts and that was just, that was terrific. It was awesome. You get your own platoon of guys and getting to push yourself and, you know, got to do two deployments, uh, generally to the Middle East, but I did mine on Muse. So I got to go to Iraq, but I also got to go to the Horn of Africa. I got to go to Sri Lanka and eh, for the tsunami that hit, I guess that was 2005. Um, Got to stop in Australia on the way home both times, which you know, nobody's bummed out about. Uh, so, you know, got got to do uh, a lot of the things that people want to do when they they sign up for the Marine Corps. Got to spend a lot more time on Navy ships than you know any poor Marine ever should. Um, and then as I started getting, I was coming into like my four year mark, and had the opportunity to basically throw my hat in the ring to go to recon. And instead of getting out, decided I was going to go, go to recon and, uh, and of all places, I was going to go to third recon, which is over in Okinawa, which you know, well, <laughs> and, uh, which is, as far as I'm concerned, that's the best place to be a recon Marine. They, you have nothing, nobody's there to monitor. You. No, yeah. I, <laughs> there's, there's significantly fewer rules. You have nothing to do other than. And who the know, hell wants to go to Camp Schwab? <laughs> yeah. You know, you just, you just trained, you worked out and you drank beer. Um, that was about most of what we did there. And then you're on a tropical island. And then, so I ended up, got, I had the opportunity to lead two different recon platoons on two different 31st Muse, which, you know, while the war is going on, isn't the most glamorous thing, but we got to do some really interesting stuff in, in Korea and the Philippines. And, uh, you know, got to work with the U.S. Secret Service when George Bush visited Jakarta in Indonesia in 2006, you know, as a quick reaction force for him. Uh, got, to, you know, got to, do a lot of fun stuff. Got to spend a bunch of time in Korea. It was awesome. Those people were great. The Filipinos were outstanding. Got to spend a month and a half in Australia training with the Aussies. It was, it was a pretty good deal. And then I started coming up on like kind of the, the second, I guess my intent was, I guess I told my mom back in like 2004 that I was like, oh, I'm going to get out after doing my five years. And then I threw my hat in the ring for, for recon and I got selected and I was like, well, I got to do this. Like, this is cool. Like I'm going to go to dive school and jump school and CQB and all this other stuff. And then, and then while I was at third recon, they, you know, I did those two deployments and I you know, told my mom again, Hey, I'm thinking, going to get out after this. And but at the same time, they stood up the new Marine special operations units now known as the Raider battalions. And yeah, you know, they needed guys like me to go do even more fun things with fewer rules and better toys and a lot more funding. So I threw my hat in the ring for that and <clears throat> got selected and got to do more fun things of, you know, with like even more talented Marines and better toys and more money and fewer rules. Uh, got to go to Afghanistan with them. You know, ended up doing a really long deployment, uh, about nine months in Afghanistan in 2008, 2009. Um, and then at that point, I finally told my mom, like, I'm, I'm getting out. And uh, she stopped believing me and a year later I got out. Uh, so I got out about a year after I got back from Afghanistan and, uh, I got out in 2010 and I got back from Afghanistan in September of 20, 2009. So How many total deployments did you have? Um, five. Wow. Yeah. And that was in a period of 
2001 to 2000 or 2001 to 2010. So little, just over, I did just over nine years in the Marine Corps. And five deployments. Yeah. That's a tempo right there. It didn't leave a lot of room for anything else. And honestly, if you ask me why, why I decided to get out, it's because it didn't, I mean, I didn't have any hobbies. I didn't have any. Uh, oh, you so say you don't have any friends, but you still don't yeah, have any friends. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I like to try to call yeah. myself a friend and then you treat me like a friend. And I'm like, I don't even know why I answer the call whenever yeah. I see your number yeah. popping up on my cell phone. Yeah, every, <laughs> look, everything suffers, the, the, yeah. especially in the special operations community. There is very little room for anything other than training and deploying and training and deploying. Even when you get back from deployment, it's the next workup just starts up and, and, yeah. and off you go and you're never home. Um, you know, I didn't have time, you know, all the hobbies that I had growing up, I didn't have any hobbies by the time I got out of the Marine Corps that I was still actively doing. Um, I, you know, it, it turns into kind of a very like, I don't know, warrior monk lifestyle. I mean, I did the same thing. I worked out a lot. I, and then I would go train and I self like plan the next, you know, the next training mission and all those things. And that was all, I mean, that was all I did. And then, you know, in my free time, I would go hang out with the guys and like the, all of us in the team would go get together and, you know, probably drink too much beer. And so I don't know that it was, a, it wasn't the healthiest, it wasn't the most unhealthy lifestyle, but it certainly wasn't the healthiest lifestyle in terms of like personal relationships. I didn't do anything with anybody outside of my team or outside of the company. Um, those, that's who I hung out with. I didn't have any civilian friends in California. Um, and I, you know, basically picked my head up and said, there's got to be more to life than training and deploying and training and deploying. Um, and my last deployment, it was terrific. I had a great go of things. I was, you know, got to bring everybody home in spite of our best efforts to, you know, uh, to throwing yourself in arms. Yeah. Way. <laughs> um, you know, everybody came home in one piece and, uh, yeah, I felt like I'd had enough. They wanted me to go back again, basically turn around and probably do another, like, probably do a nine month workup and go back over for probably six, seven months. And, uh, I just, I couldn't commit to that. And, you know, I, I just think at that point I was like, you've gotten everything out of me. You're going to get. So, uh, and the prospect of getting promoted out of, uh, to a rank that wouldn't allow me to do any of the things that, that would ever. Yeah. Cause it major yeah. you, you yeah. pretty much are just that. Yeah. My last, my last team, I mean, they literally called me Peter Pan. They're like, you've never had to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> and no, nobody gets to have, I mean, I'd done nothing but deploy my entire, you know, my entire career. I'd had, you know, two recon platoons, a MARSOC team, that MARSOC team, we were together for two and a half years by the time we gotten back from that deployment, you know, and I had a rifle platoon and I was a rifle company XO. Like I'd never had to leave leading Marines. I'd never had to lead another officer, basically, you know, a little bit as a company XO, but like, you know, that's where the that's where the fun stops basically. Yeah. <laughs> Cause now you gotta be responsible. Um, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean the guys in the team called me Peter Pan and that I just had never had to grow up. I'd never had to do anything other than what everybody wants to do. Uh, and being a, you know, a recon platoon commander, a rifle team commander and, uh, and a Raider team commander. I mean, those are like, those are, that's the best jobs in the Marine Corps. Um, I think by far. Uh, yeah. and, so I'd, I'd had enough and uh, decided to get out. Uh, I don't know that I had a great plan other than, you know, I'd, I'd taken the GMAT right before I got out and, and did pretty well on that, but I hadn't applied to schools because, you know, I took it in the spring, like when, you know, third round, you know, applications were due. I mean, I didn't, it was, you know, 2010, it wasn't like it was an extremely well-trodden path, but I had, a, I had a good buddy. He's like, dude, you need to go use a GI Bill, go back to school. 
um, go figure out what you want to be with the rest of your life. So, um, that's where that journey started. So, <laughs> and then that's when you went to, that's where, I, that's when I went to business school. I, <clears throat> so I took basically a year, I don't know if it was a year off. I had the intention of taking a year off. I got out, took some, took a couple months off, started looking at schools, <clears throat> ultimately got into Wharton and went and got my MBA at Wharton. Um, and it was there at, while I was at Wharton that, um, all I knew about you know, while I was there is that I didn't want to be a banker and I didn't want to be a consultant. Um, and 60% of the class goes into banking and consulting there. Um, and you know, they go to all the best consulting shops and all the best banks. And I was like, this is not for me. Uh, this is not like, you're not going to convince me that I need to be working on a PowerPoint or Excel spreadsheet at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, it's just not, I want to solve real problems. I want to lead people. You know, those jobs don't, those jobs don't utilize any of the quote unquote tangible skills that I thought I brought to the table, which was, you know, leading teams and solving problems. Um, so a buddy of mine during my first year, uh, he was a year ahead of me. He was another military guy. He turned to me and said, Hey, you ought to look at energy. It's in Texas and they like veterans <laughs> and, uh, off I went. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, kid from Maryland had been in the Marine Corps. I'm then bumping around Houston and, you know, DFW, uh, and other places just trying to have conversations with anybody that'll talk to me about oil and gas and opportunities in the oil and gas space to go, you know, quote unquote, you know, lead people and solve problems. And there, there was a little bit more to, you know, the thesis in terms of, you know, I, I thought that my Marine Corps experience obviously gave me great credibility and ability to relate to the, to the kind of the blue collar workers that are out there on the front lines in the energy space. But, you know, the MBA was that, that polish or maybe that finishing school that allows me to take, you know, that blue collar experience uh, and the ability to speak that language and also, and translate that into, you know, for lack of a better term, translate that into the boardroom and really be able to, if, if you can speak both those languages and bridge that gap and understand like the high finance. So as well, as well as understand the nuance of, of leading people and managing people and what really makes them tick uh, and how you take care of people in order to get them, you know, all pulling and rowing in the same direction. Um, you know, that I, f I felt like that was kind of, you know, going to be a powerful combination you know, going to whatever place I landed. Yeah. So where did you land? So I landed at a private uh, oil field services company that had recently just changed its name from FracTech to FTS International. Um. <clears throat> The COO at the time, well, I guess I'd interned there as the world's oldest intern <laughs> uh, in the summer prior. And I'd worked kind of in the finance and corporate development department, building like financial models and learning stuff that like I needed to learn, but was not for me. Uh, and the, the COO basically said, hey, I want you to come back and I want, I want you to learn operations and I want to put you in operations leadership roles uh, when you come back full time. And so that's what I did and for the first year. You know, to his credit, he said, look, I'm going to give you basically a year to learn the business. And I went to every piece of training that the company offered in terms of petroleum engineering and drilling engineering and you know, any sort of reservoir geology. Like I'm no expert in any of that stuff. I'm, I would say I'm barely literate in that stuff, but I knew enough to kind of understand conceptually. And then I also went around and I worked, uh, <clears throat> I worked for a couple of weeks in every district as like an extra hand on a frack crew. 
Um, you know, the first frat crew I went to was out in the Haynesville shale. You know, I was on the night shift doing, uh, doing work for, uh, Anadarko. And, you know, my, you know, my call sign on the radio was corporate. They're like, Hey, corporate, you know, get over here. <laughs> um, and they all were like, they were all just super keyed up on the fact. They just love the fact that there was some guy from corporate who was out there on their frat crew. And I was with that crew for, you know, at least three weeks. Um, and just had a blast. And look, the, the guy who was the service supervisor on that crew is still a friend of mine today. Um, I had the opportunity, I had the opportunity like further down years later while I was still at FTS, I had the opportunity to promote him to district manager. Um, and he was the guy that, you know, he was the first one to really teach me the ropes of, of frack. And those guys, man, they, they tried to work, they, they tried to work me to death. And they didn't know anything other than I was just this guy from corporate. And then they started getting to know me and they're like, oh, we got this like special operations dude. No wonder we can't work. <laughs> yeah, I'll be damned if they were going to outwork me. Right. Um, so if there was something that needed to be done on location, I was Johnny on the spot. Um, I had a great time, learned, learned a ton and, and did that around the company, you know, South Texas and West Texas and up in PA uh, and just had a lot of fun with it and really got to learn the business and learn the company. Um, and yeah, when my year was up, they they moved me into an operations leadership role and and did that for a while, uh, and then kind of ran headlong into the downturn at, at the end of 2014, um, when you know the industry just got decimated with the you know the Saudis saying they were just going <clears> to <throat> ramp production and try and kill the shale industry, and our fleet count went from you know maybe not overnight, but it went from like 32 down to at one point I think the base was like. 11, 10 or 11. Um, so it was, you know, it was, it was a wild ride. And that next six from basically December of 2014 until really like April, May of probably May of 2015 was really miserable. Uh, so miserable. I mean, I was, I was pretty checked. I was getting pretty checked out. I was, you know, I was, I, when I got moved in the operations side, I, got put under a guy who you know, wasn't that great um, to work for, you know, wasn't really interested in kind of my development or any of the things that I thought I could bring to the table and much more interested in telling me I didn't have enough experience and didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, and, you know, and my attitude was like, well, I'll show you. Um, <laughs> anyway, long story longer, um, ended up uh, finding or, you know, getting introduced to the guy who would become my boss. I, for lack of a better term, I basically recruited my own boss. Uh, I was about to quit. I literally was about to quit. Um, I went to the COO who had given me the opportunity and the CEO of the company and, and said, you know, this is maybe foolish of me, but I didn't really care at, at this point. I was so miserable. You know, my wife was, you know, yelling at me like, you got to get out of here. This isn't healthy. And I, I told them, I was like, look, I've, I don't care if I work here another day, but I'm not working for this guy another day. And they, um, it had some of the desired effect in that I didn't have to work for that guy anymore. Um, but um, it took another four or five months for that guy to get fired. Um, and in that mean, in that time, I was you know, we were downsizing the company, and I got I basically got put in charge of, hey, go shut this facility down and lay all these people off, and mm. you know pack all this stuff up and consolidate it. That was, I was the shutter downer of things guy for a couple months. 
Uh, and that wasn't obvious as you would expect, as you would expect, wasn't much better than the previous job that I had other than that. I didn't have an awful boss that I was reporting to. Um, I was a little bit left alone on an Island and, uh, but I still believe in the company. I thought we had a good thing going. And, um, there was a, there was a guy that I had, I had heard basically made other guys that I knew and respected in the industry had made mention of this guy and he had recently become available. And so I created an opportunity for him to, or for he and I to meet for lunch and, you know, my whole plan and he was, you know, we needed a new operations lead, whether it was at the COO or senior vice president operator, we need somebody to come in and revamp operations. And, you know, as far as I knew, this was, you know, I'd heard just amazing things about this guy. And sure enough, I went out and met him and said, Hey, you know, you should come run operations for us. He's like, well, you're not in charge of anything. <laughs> so how do you, how do you intend to get this done? Uh, like I'm Jamie P. Yeah. Challenge accepted. <laughs> and I, I said, well, I'm going to introduce at the time I actually had a one, we had a board member who was terrific. He's been a great mentor to me over the course of my career. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm going to introduce you to this guy, uh, who's on the board and then we'll introduce you to the CEO. And I think the board member is going to tell the CEO that he, he needs to hire you. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy looks at me. He's like, you're out of your mind. Like, what do you think the chances are? I'm like, I don't know, a million to one, but who cares? Like, we got to try. Uh, sure enough, like plan went off without a hitch apparently. Um, cause I introduced him to the board member who introduced him to the CEO. And next thing you know, probably two months later, he's showing up as, you know, he's showing up as my boss. Um, I immediately, as soon as the day he walked in, I was his one direct report. And then I became his tour guide for the, around the company for about a month and a half while he basically did an assessment of the company. All the senior operations team got really nervous and bent out of shape and either, and, uh, then quit. And the ones that didn't quit, he had, well, when the senior and the head of ops quit, this guy took over and then we went around and basically cleaned house on all the things that we said needed to get done in order to start rebuilding the company in order to try and survive. Um, and it was awful. I mean, 2015 was awful. 2016 was miserable. Um, you know, we were an over-levered oil field service company. Fortunately, we didn't have any debt maturities due in the near term and we had enough cash. <clears throat> but for 2016, I mean, we basically worked for $0 in EBITDA for the entire year. Um, and it wasn't until 17 that things started turning around. And when they did turn around, all the work, the groundwork that we laid in the back half of 15 and all through 16 really started to take hold, really focused on efficiencies. And next thing you know, the ramp was just unbelievable. I mean, the ramp across 2017, we beat our expectations. Um, we beat our board's expectations and our own expectations every single quarter for the entire year of 2017. And <clears throat> and we're fortunate to ride that straight into 2018 and hit a window that allowed us to take the company public. And seemingly, uh, you know, all of our debt woes at that point, we're like, Oh, all of our debt woes are, you know, are solved. Uh, we're, we're clear. Um, and getting to do that was really cool. I mean, you know, I was one of the, the few guys that got to go to New York. I was up on the podium for the bell ringing. You know, it was, that was really just a unique opportunity it's so cool to have been you know such a part of turning that operation around you know building the team and getting the right metrics in place so that we could you know, make the thing go uh and you know all that culminated in a very exciting ipo and you know there's a lot of 
ins outs and what have you. But you know, another company had been sniffing around me before the IPO to you know see if I would jump ship. And uh, a month after the IPO, I I did jump ship, um, and that was probably one of the hardest decisions of my life in terms of like you know the hardest part was leaving my boss who like he's still one of my best friends today, and I can't believe that you know it's almost you know February February March will be three years since since I quit him as as he likes to remind me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like a scene out of Brokeback Mountain. I can't quit you. <laughs> <laughs> People actually were sending us that meme. Uh, you know, because I, because he, look, he, he and I were the thickest thieves. We spent almost every, like, we spent 80% of our days together figuring out how we're going to turn, like, make that company go. And, you know, the first year and a half was like literally just fixing stuff. And then the last, the 2017 was, really dialing everything in and then you know we hit the we hit the perfect window to get the company public and then that window slammed shut and he, you know he and i were talking in early of q1 of 2018 we're like this thing's about to get this thing's already overheated we're about to lose pricing power and i'll be damned if that if that didn't play out exactly as you know he and i both anticipated it was a steady decline from the end of q1 um and still you know the market's it was a steady decline. They were losing pricing power, you know, month over month or quarter over quarter. Um, and, the, you know, unbelievably, I mean, you know, it's 2020 and the company was public for, I don't know how many quarters. And then they entered chapter 11 restructuring a couple of months ago, I think, uh, and that I guess should be emerging here soon. Um, you know, all we thought we had solved our debt woes, but, sadly, even, you know, taking, you know, at the time when I first, when he and I first took, took over operations, we had like $1.5 billion in debt on the balance sheet. And by the time we got done the IPO, I think it was down to like $400 million in net debt. You know, we, we generated, you know, over a billion dollars, like we generated a billion dollars in free cash to clean the balance sheet up and it still wasn't enough. Um, you know, and that's part, you know, this market is insanely cyclical, something that a stupid farm boy from Maryland has no appreciation for before they join the oil and gas <laughs> business. So I think if, yeah, maybe if I'd known this, I would have, uh, thought better about. Got to be the banker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's insane how high the highs are and how low the lows are. Yeah. Um, it's, and you know, and, this past year hasn't been any better. I mean, this, this year has been equally as insane in terms of, you know, how high the highs were. And then, you know, with COVID hitting, you know, the new, this new company that I joined, you know, we were really starting to fire on all cylinders in Q1. And then COVID hit and we had work, we had steady work on the calendar through April. And then at the end of April, I mean, we felt like Thelma and Louise, like we were just hitting the gas, heading straight for a cliff. Because we knew once April was over, the calendar was... I mean, there was nothing on the calendar. We went from like eight crews to two. Mm. Um, and uh, then it became, okay, like what's not bolted down? What can we sell? What's got to go? What, how do we, how do we manage costs to get through, get to whatever the backside of this looks like? Um, and I think we've weathered the storm quite well. I mean, we've, we've, we've weathered the storm probably a lot better than our peers. You know, we're not, uh, we're not over levered. Uh, and that's been, you know, doing large part, we've got a great, uh, great finance team, 
um, that's, that's helped really think deeply on all that stuff and help manage that, you know, a great ownership structure that's been super supportive of us and all the decisions we had to make, you know, and here we are <clears throat> coming out of Q3, you know, work started landing back on the calendar and the business model certainly started to kind of gain a lot more traction we're, and we are growing, uh, we're growing again and growing like crazy. So, um, now I've got the opposite problem of, you know, how do you go from two crews in May, June to, you know, I think it's going to be I don't know, 11 crews by the end of December. Um, and that's a lot of hiring and a lot of training and a lot of stuff you have to get ready. Um, and you know, that's a whole nother, that's a lot better problem to solve and not certainly not complaining about it. I try not to shout, shout that from the rooftops too loudly in terms of, cause you know, it's not, not every, there's very few companies in the oil, oil and gas space that are you know, having to deal with growth problems right now. A lot of, a lot of folks are still really struggling. And, um, so very happy about where we are. I'm really excited about where we're headed, but it's been a, quite a ride. So just for the listeners, what all goes into a crew? How many people are in a crew? What does that entail? Yeah. So, uh, the company, I, you know, when I left FTS international, I, I joined a company called TSS, um, otherwise known as total sand solution. Uh, we are a, a <clears throat> we're kind of a high, uh, at our base, we like, we are a, trucking company. We're a trucking company that focuses on oil and gas logistics. And when I say oil and gas logistics specifically focuses on the delivery of, of frac sand, uh, frac sand to well sites. And, uh, you know, every, every frac job that's going on requires somewhere between 65 and 130 tractor trailer truckloads of sand delivered a day. So when you think about what it takes to, and those truckloads can never be late. So when you think about what it takes in order to make that happen, uh, you've got a lot of trucks on the road, you're pulling from multiple origin points uh, and trying to you know, time them perfectly and manage them perfectly you know, to get them to the destination you know, on time every time. So it's a massive linear programming model at its <clears throat> kind of its heart and soul. And, you know, it takes technology and people to make that happen. So we manage that process from the mine to the well site. Uh, we, uh, we own trucks and we manage other people's trucks. You know, we help people uh, procure the sand that they need. And then we also <clears throat> own the well site equipment that we deliver the sand into. And we have our people on location that are a receiving the trucks and B managing our equipment on the, on that location. So every well site crew is probably about six to nine people, you know, it's, um, two to three guys per shift. So you've got days, nights and days off. Um, so there's two or three of our guys on that job site at, at all times receiving those trucks and running the equipment. And then here in Fort Worth, we've got our, a dispatch desk that's manned 24 seven, um, you know, 365, literally, uh, managing the trucks that are going into all those well sites. Uh, you know, oil and gas business, you know, some folks take off for Thanksgiving and Christmas, some folks don't. So there's always somebody in there dispatching trucks on Christmas and Christmas, Christmas Eve and Christmas day. Um, so, uh, and there's, uh, you know, obviously folks on location receiving those trucks. So we're trying to solve that problem. We're trying to do it in, um, in a hyper efficient, 
you know, maximizing, maximizing asset efficiency and asset utilization, um, you know, down to, you know, the pound of sand, uh, and, and the second, uh, in terms of how you make that whole machine work and work really, really well. Uh, cause if you can do it really, really well, it, you know, it's a, it can be a great business, but it's a business that historically has been done with, you know, a big chief tablet, maybe an Excel spreadsheet and, um, you know, the telephone and how do you build us? Like we are like, we're a bit of a, you know, while we're a trucking company, we're a bit of a hybrid trucking slash technology company and that we've, we've built our own software platform that manages this internally. We've got our own team of programmers that are in there developing and, you know, our software and our app are getting updated every week with new features and new tweaks that make the, the machine run better. Um, and, you know, we're constantly innovating on the software side. We're constantly innovating on the well set equipment side to make that better as well. Uh, in terms of you know, what, what, what can we do in order to make the system work you know, more fluidly, you know, eliminate wasted time, eliminate wasted space, um, <clears throat> and just sort of maximize the opportunity, the opportunity of the driver, the opportunity of the customer, the opportunity of our equipment to you know, be more efficient than anybody else can be um, and be more resilient than anybody else can be when, when things start going wrong. You know, if, if a mine shuts down because of weather, okay, well, where am I, like, where's my backup? Where's my, where's my primary backup? Where's my secondary backup? How am I going to absorb this into the, into the system? Or if one of the, if one of the wells, one of the delivery places goes down and, you know, I've got 20 trucks that are en route to a location that's just shut down. It's going to be shut down for two days because something went wrong, you know, under the ground. Okay. Well, how do I make sure that those trucks don't get their time wasted? And how do I divert them? How do I manage them? Um, you know, how do I be more resilient and optimize this system in a way that, you know, historically it's not been done. So that's the focus. I mean, that's the problem we're trying to solve every day. That's the focus, uh, basically of the entire team, you know, day in and day out. So you got exactly what you were looking for, which yeah. was problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, I, and, yeah. And that's the thing that I think attracted me to FTS was the opportunity to really solve a problem and, and make that company run better. Um, and that's the thing that attracted me to TSS um, was the opportunity to, you know, help solve a problem and, and make a, make a company run better and you know, kind of be able to see the long-term vision and see the potential in terms of if, if we can achieve this, you know, then we will, you know, then the results will be, you know, X or Y um, and being able to, you know, figure out how you get from, from A to B, um, you know, that's a lot of fun and building the team inside of that's a lot of fun and, you know, helping build the metrics and the, the processes that, that help get you there. That's, you know, that's, and, and seeing that evolve, and there's a lot, you know, I get a lot of satisfaction from seeing a team go from being not very good at something to being extremely good at something, um, and helping identify those people. And look, you, I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody you swing, I've swung on people and missed, um, you know. The business uh, in the past three years, our business has had to morph drastically in terms of what our original focus was to where we are focused today. Uh, and you know, you've talked about it in some of the other podcasts. Look, there's you know, there's plenty of dead bodies on the side of the road, mm -hmm. um, and some of those are due to the fact that you know, I I made mistakes and you know hired the wrong person, or potentially I made, you know I was unable to give the person some of the time that they needed in order to develop in order to be successful. Or, you know, in some cases, they just weren't the right person for the job. Um, 
and yeah, that's that bums you, that bums you out. I mean, I, like I hate, I hate not being able. Like one of the hardest parts for me is not is not getting a person to kind of live up to the potential that I think that they uh, they have, or be able to get them to be where I want them to be or where I need them to be in order to be successful. You know, I struggled with that at FTS in terms of, you know, folks would be missing the mark. And I, 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 mean, I hate, I just don't want to give up on people. Uh, you know, I, I generally want to believe that, you know, as a Marine, I'm like, well, I could just lead them better. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think when it comes to leading that, like I can provide plenty of leadership, but, <clears throat> uh, you know, I'm, definitely not the great, like, I'm certainly not the greatest manager. Um, I need folk. If, if you're going to be managed by me, I need you to be extremely comfortable with the fact that like, you may not hear from me for two days. Right? I need you to be comfortable with plenty of autonomy because I'm not going to be running around checking up after you all the time. Um, trying to do better job of, of those things, uh, as we grind through some of the nitty gritty execution stuff. Um, but yeah, that's, one, it's not natural to me. And two, um, you know, there's just a lot of things going on. I've, you know, there's a, the company's got a lot on its plate and like, you know, one day I'm trying to solve problems on what's going on in the Northeast. And the next day I'm, you know, completely swamped and stuff in West Texas. Um, you know, and if your best time to get a hold of me is when I'm driving either to or from West Texas, quite frankly, you know, which I, by the way, is usually about five thirty in the morning. Yeah. And I'm the only person you call because you know I'm the only idiot that gets up at like four o'clock in the morning. You're like, yeah. "Spans up, yep. I'll call." Yep. <laughs> I got a short list of people I can talk to at five o'clock in the morning. Well, um, and you know, and it's kind of it, it's kind of funny too. Is you, you look at where we came from in the Marines and what we did, right? Is it externally sets us up for success, but internally sets us up for a little bit of failure, right? Because we were surrounded by the best talent in, in the world self-starters, mm -hmm. didn't have to, I mean, you don't even need, matter of fact, if you check on them, it's because you were bored, yeah, <laughs> right? And then you get out of here and that talent is, the talent may be there, but mm -hmm. they haven't demonstrated that steps to go, hey, I, I, I have the potential and I want to demonstrate the potential, right? Yep. And that's frustrating for guys like you and I, because we're like, man, we see you have it, but they just, don't take that. And step. I, I think, you know, in the, in the recon world and in the special operations world, there's so much, um, value and attention paying paid to guys having like good initiative, um, being able to think, being able to like, there's the idea of commander's intent and the commander set, you know, sets out an intent. As long as you're staying basically inside the right and left lateral limits of that, if you're staying inside of that, like you really can't go wrong. So if you see a problem coming down the road, like, don't go tell me, hey, I see a problem coming down the road. Like, you should go, solve it. go yeah. solve it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the, the civilian world in many cases is less, A, is less comfortable with the idea of commander's intent. Um, and B, is less comfortable with the idea of people really uh, just basically taking the initiative. And, you know, one of the things we always used to say in the, <clears throat> in the Marine Corps was, you know, you know, beg for forgiveness, don't ask for permission. Right? <laughs> if you took me, like, <laughs> you saw the opportunity to take advantage of something, um, whether that was, you know, on the battlefield with the enemy or, you know, create a, create an opportunity for your team to go do something, you know, like, or acquire something that maybe belonged to in a sister service that, you know, they might not really notice. And it was, was never missing. stealing. It yeah. was acquiring. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> so. Gear it's, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, 
uh, yeah, it was much, I'm very comfortable with the idea. Beg for forgiveness. Don't ask for permission. Um, and our I, poor wives are still married to this, yeah, right? Yeah. With the um, same philosophies. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, you know, and like the concept, the concept of people really taking initiative and, and inside of the commander's intent. And yeah, part of that could be, I, I need to maybe do a better job of delivering commander's intent. Right? But, I, but um, I think you're, you're, you're right about something is either they're not comfortable or they don't qualify completely understand the content of that, right? Because any given day, I would rather someone that is making mistakes, but man, they're out there trying to get it, mm -hmm. than having to light a fire <clears throat> under someone's ass that you're like, eh. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And look, it, it warms my heart when, and we use, we use this, uh, you know, an app that most people are, um, you know, familiar with and Slack to do a lot of communication. When I see guys on Slack communicating and taking initiative, you know, there's, there's a uh, young guy on one of, like, he's a lead on one of our crews who was just, he was taking the bull by, his, by the horns and he was making decisions and trying to make stuff happen. And it was, um, and he wasn't necessarily do, like, he was thinking about solving problems, but it was one of those like great, good initiative, bad judgment. Like, <laughs> I appreciate you going after it, but like, let's take a step back and think about, Hey, like this isn't actually your call to make because like what you see is the right decision for like the world you're living in on your one little job site, but the decision you're making is affecting the three other job sites around you and like in a negative way. And like, we can't have that, which is fine. It's a great teachable moment. It's a great opportunity for him. To, like you pull his head up and be like, here's why we can't have you running around saying, you know, I'm going to do this or we're going to do this. And I got this guy doing that. And it's like, whoa, pump the brakes. Like, yes, if yours was the only job site, that's exactly the way you should be doing it. But we've got an ecosystem to support here. So like in this case, I need you to pick your head, like raise your hand and say, hey, this is what I need done. Like what's, you know, and, and guys need to get comfortable with, as guys get more experience and, you know, get a little more time, you know, we've got a young team and you know, we're constantly trying to develop these guys and give them the opportunity to learn more. And, you see, so you don't want to stifle that initiative. You know, I love the fact that the guy was will, like willing to stick his neck out there and say, Hey, I'm you know, trying to solve problems. Yeah. Um, so like, that's fun, you know, and, but you can always work with somebody like that. Well, and, and so when you're identifying future talent, what are some of the mechanisms or tools that you use? Well, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I am also a user of the culture index. Thank you for calling me several times <clears throat> to tell me that I was not saying it right <laughs> on my other podcast. Thank um, you. And uh, I guess I think I can also be to, to the one to blame for the, the poor people at culture index for introducing you to them. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it is your fault. Um, but yeah, I've been using culture index since, uh, since I was at FTS. Um, my last boss was the one that introduced me to it. And you know, it's quite an eye opener. I think it's quite an eye opener in terms of like you know, some of the things that you talked about with I think Stanton, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in terms of getting the right people in the right seat on the bus and also understanding uh you how you interact with other members of the team, you know, what they respond to, you know, what makes them tick, you know, what makes you know uh, you know, the first time I heard my profile read, it was the most accurate assessment of why I do the things I do and how I think about things. And, you know, the way that Michael Hall delivered it was absolutely hysterical. I was laughing so hard. I was crying. Uh, and everyone in the room was laughing. So like was just dying in laughter because it was, you know, 100% dead on. Um, so we, you know, we use that. 
as an assessment tool to try and <clears throat> help figure out like how we get the right person in the right seat. And, you know, cause not everybody should be a lead. Some guys just want to show up and do every day. Uh, some guys just want to execute and they want to be in charge of themselves. And that's, that's really all they want. And other guys are like chomping at the bit for the opportunity to be a supervisor or, you know, certain profiles make really good dispatchers and certain profiles make really good truck drivers and certain profiles do not make good dispatchers and do not make good truck drivers. Um, I would argue my profile would I'd be a miserable dispatcher. I mean, there's plenty of things that I'm completely unqualified to do. I actually made that joke the other day when we were talking about looking for, looking for, we're trying to fill a uh, well site safety manager position. And I, you know, I thought, I think I was, <laughs> I think I thought I was on mute and I made the comment. I was like, wow. I was like, turns out I'm completely unqualified to work in any position inside this company. <laughs> um, you know, as, as you know, my, my profile is probably one of the, you know, more unique and, oh, you know, a little bit of an oddball. Um, and, uh, and look, it's part of the, it's a huge part of my strength, but you know, there are significant weaknesses inside of that profile that, uh, I have to manage around, uh, and manage through and make myself, you know, do things differently or better, uh, which is, you know, can be a struggle every day and some days it's less of a struggle um and you know it, and to the extent my part of my motivation is you know if i can continue to build the system uh that works and 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 manages this stuff i don't have to pay as much attention to these details that i actually don't want to pay attention to right i'll, so, ne I'll never forget when you said here take this and i was like okay and then I was beating you up, I think, for like three or four days. Like, what are my results? Because you were busy. I mean, you're <laughs> doing things, right? You're executive in the energy industry and you're always busy. And uh, and I was like, what is it? What is it? And then finally you sent me a text and you said, your results say you're batshit crazy, okay? <laughs> and then I was like, what? Well, that doesn't I already know that I am that. That didn't explain anything. And then when you showed me and you were like, look, man, the reason you're going to have to work for yourself is you are unemployable, right? You, you, and it, and it was, then when you went through and you broke down, you know, Hey, like right here, your autonomy and your sense of urgency are as far apart as they can possibly be, which means you're always going to be bored. You're, you're always going to be looking for that next thing. I thought, man, that really explained my career in the BD while I was moving every two years, right? <laughs> From one unit to another, to another, like, Hey, I'm bored. I want to, you know, I just want to be, let loose and run. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so it, it was, and, and, and for Laura, it made all the sense in the world for her. So she was like, look, I know I'm married to an asshole, but you know, <laughs> as it turns out, this is the way he's wired. And, um, and then even more importantly is you gave the assessment to Laura. This was coming up on two years ago, uh, pretty close to two years ago. And, uh, and I'll never forget you called me and you said, you need to start making some company changes or you're going to, you're going to lose your business partner before the end of this year. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm all ears. What does that mean? <laughs> and you're yeah. like, well, that's the other thing on your profile. You're not necessarily a person for the detail. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, Laura, Laura was at the time, Laura was working very hard in order to try and be something that she's not. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, and then we became such believers in the system that we went and got culture index. <laughs> and uh, 
and then we we got it to utilize it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. We wanted clients to take, because I was like, man, if I can learn this much In 10 on minutes. how I actually should be communicating with my wife, like just, it was just that simple. You're like, hey, by the way, don't expect a response like me, three bullet points. But if you really want me to read the email, put whatever you want in the subject line, because I probably didn't even read the three bullet points. And I'm going to make a decision yesterday where you're like, yeah, Laura, it's not, that's not going to happen. And it was funny because even though these we know these things about our spouses, when you see it and you understand programming, you're like, oh, wow. And then I thought, man, if I could communicate this well with clients, what, how would that make business go? And man, it made the world of difference uh, to the point of uh, we did an exercise uh, a couple of weeks ago is we had the entire team I want to say the entire team, except for me, uh, because they deal with really, I mean, everybody, everybody that comes into this, they were like, it's called the span group. And we thought you did everything. It turns out you really don't do anything. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's because I looked at my index and I realized I'm really good at going to find clients. But the rest of the team is really good at like doing the stuff that matters right? <laughs> in the buying and selling of it. actually takes care of the client. <laughs> it takes care of the client. <laughs> and so, and I did, we actually picked the team based on, you know, Michelle, she has the coordinator profile, right? Which is absolutely what we needed. You know, someone that likes to be everybody on board, but is very friendly, but has a high sense of urgency, but is going to pay attention to the details. Mm-hmm. And then Lynn, who's A and B trader to the left and the C and D trader to the right. So she loves not having to interact with any human beings and being able to, you know, Knock do all the out. paperwork. Yeah. yeah and rocks out. it out, loves her life. And, um, and so it, we ranked, uh, clients over the last two years. And actually, I think you heard me say this on a podcast already because yeah. you called me and you were like, where did I rank? And it took me <laughs> a second. And then I was like, look, it doesn't even matter if you're a good client. I'm going to tell you you're a bad client anyways, <laughs> just because you're my friend and I can't be nice to you. Uh, but not over 90%, I think it was the number 90% were ones and twos. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it wasn't anything that, we only chose a particular client mm-hmm. based on the profile is it was now we knew how to communicate with that client. And when you communicate with someone, the way they prefer to process information turns out they're pretty easy to work with because there's no confusion, which creates fear yep. and you have clarity, which creates trust. And so I really, <laughs> God, I hate giving you credit for anything. <laughs> this is just really annoying, but had it not been for you introducing us to Culture Index, um, I don't know that the team would still be alive. And I don't know that we would be able to deliver the value that we've been able to deliver since taking that on. So I'll say this. Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of, of what they do. I'm a huge fan yeah. of, uh, I, I guess, sadly, I've, you know, the only guy I've interacted with from the Culture Index is, is Michael Hall uh, yeah. in terms because I've heard that the rest of the team is really good. But at the same time, like at this point, I don't want to deal with anybody other than Michael Hall because, you know, he's, he's actually, I've been, I've sat through the class, I think three or four times now, with, you know, at FTS and then at, at TSS and I've introduced culture index to, you know, all of, all of my best friends, all the ones that I you know, want to see be more successful. Interestingly, one of the other funny things that I've found is, you know, all of my closest friends all have, uh, by and large, for the most part, have similar profiles. Um, 
like I do a guy's trip every year. We go skiing together. We're a bunch of guys I was in the Marine Corps with. And it's a really good group of guys. And these are all my best friends in Marine Corps. And every single one of us is a high A profile. Yeah. Like massively high A profile. Um, with the exception of one, he's the one that drives all of us the most crazy. <laughs> um, and uh, it's just, I mean, it's just funny. Yeah. Um, and you, all of the guys that I'm, I'm closest with and stay in touch with uh, on the most regular basis, um, you know, you and other folks that you know, I mean, man, the guys that I'm closest with are all high A profiles. And um, I think it's just kind of a funny thing in terms of, you, that particular group tends to seek out each other more than any other, uh, from what I understand. I've had this conversation with Michael and, and with other, other friends. I mean, Buddy Peterson, who, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, Dan Runsheimer, mm-hmm. you know, also another high A profile. Um, you know, these are all the guys that are closest to me in my life, uh, which is just kind of an interesting coincidence, but yeah, that's, and, and, and that's a, yeah. I, I, and I, and I, and I agree with you is like the, everybody on our team, their A trait is to the left. So I'm the only person, not only is my A trait to the right, but it is extremely Way high. Right. Yeah. We, 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 extreme profile. And so that's also what helped us restructure the team is I really view myself as a very good leader but probably one of the worst managers on the planet because I don't want to have to check on things. I want to, I like to start the race before the gun goes off <laughs> while the rest of my team likes to wait for the gun to go off to start the race. Yeah. And so my executive coach, Tony was like, how about we just take you out of all management and all decision-making? And I was like, eh, man, it's mine. <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, you just need to be involved in the vision setting, right? Right. And then, but once we got there, uh, my life, my wife's life, the team's life, everybody's life just got better, right? Mm-hmm. And then even when... It's not surprising to me that the less you're involved in something, the better everybody is. Dude, that is fact <laughs> right there. That is fact. So with all, your, all your free time, you've been working out a lot more, I guess, right? Man, you are... Really don't even know why I invited you to this podcast. <laughs> Hater. Is that a no? You getting shaped by breathing and and you still work out like on Marine Corps birthday when you made me mad. And I was like, let's go get a drink. And you're like, well, I just got a steak and I'm going to the house and I'm gonna go do some pull-ups. And you were like, Do you know what those are? And I was like, go away. I don't even know why I called you to have a birthday drink with you. But but not is you know, we we try to explain to all our clients now is like you're really not going to see Jeremy unless there's a problem because by design, I'm a problem solver. And, and actually the chaos of problems is where my clarity comes in. And so when the pandemic hit and it was, Hey, we're going to do some unorthodox stuff and here's what we're going to go do. This is how we're going to do it. And at that point, the team was like, Okay, that's what you're good at. So we're gonna we're gonna follow lead on that, and then we were able to pull through and and actually just have an. A yeah, you guys year. have thrived, right? So. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. This year has not sucked business wise, yeah. right? No. Um, the restaurant, on the other hand, like all restaurants, I had John Bonnell on here. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We recorded with John and just talking about how the restaurant industry has been decimated 
and just, I mean, the retail hospitality. That's oh, terrifying. It's, it's really, really terrifying. It is crazy. Right. And, um, and then it was funny because you like to take credit for everything for my success. So, but not everything, because then you were like, oh, so you have been introduced to zero hit. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, by somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a good, that's a good source of, uh, of information. Um, I mean, they've got a lot of good, I mean, they get a lot of good information. They got a lot of different perspectives on there. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that, you know, the, the cynics would say, uh, it's, there's too much conspiracy theory nonsense, or there's too much, uh, doom and gloom on there, but you know, there's a lot of real economic data that comes through their real, uh, foreign policy, just analysis that, that doesn't, that I don't, that has less of a, that, has a less clear of an agenda of like kind of some of the mainstream media outlets. Um, and you know, I mean that website probably costs like $5 a year to maintain in terms of like, there's no, yeah, it's not the sexiest website. Out there. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, the, the, the folks you get, like, you, I mean, I've been reading zero hedge for you know, probably since I went to grad school. Um, and yeah, I think you get real, you get some real market insight, real policy insight, real foreign policy insight. Um, without some of, without the, that's not written in a way to be clickbait that, you know, for lack of, you know, that CNN or NBC or Fox or any, you know, there's, it's just clickbait, you know, like you have to yeah. actually, if you're on zero head, you're actually there because you want to read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I can't read by the way. That's a rumor. Yeah. I, I was actually reading it. <laughs> I mean, actually, if you highlight it mm -hmm. and you get Siri, it'll read it for you. <laughs> So I it's technically, I agree. I didn't. I didn't know that. <laughs> but I'm not. A, I'm not an iPhone wizard. So I'm, if, if Siri would, if Siri will read me things, that might I, that might even get more efficient. They might be able to not even have to worry about yeah. half this stuff. So where do you where do you think the economy is heading? Um, and, and here's the thing for the listeners out there, and this is the caveat I'm get, right? This is going to be our opinion <laughs> on what we see and where or where that comes from, and that's. Basically, where I just want the raw opinion of where 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 you think, not sure. because this is where we hope it goes, but just what we see. Right? Yeah. Um, well, I guess I, you know, first and foremost, I, you know, and I have to be, but I'm bullish oil and gas. Even with a you know a Biden administration, um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that are said during campaigns that, in order to appeal to a certain demographic, that are never lived up to. Uh, you know, at the end of the day the majority of Republicans and Democrats are going to lose their mind if they pay more to pump or they pay more to heat their home and, you know, ban fracking at your own peril, right? Um, the American energy independence is probably one of the most, if not the most currently important uh, foreign policy tool that the United States has at its disposal right now. It's changed the balance of power. Explain, explain what you mean by that. Just so we listeners fully understand. I mean, look, it, 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 it has changed the way it's, it has changed the way that the, that the U S has to treat the middle East and that the entire middle East, the, the, the power shift is or the balance of power has totally changed. I mean, they've, Quite frankly, that you know the Saudis and the rest of the Middle East have, have lost their largest bargaining chip uh, to kind of hold over the head of the Americans, and um, you know our ability to produce energy, you know, in, insures against 
bad behavior. And I think by and large, if we take a look at <clears throat> like love him or hate him, um, you know, the foreign policy successes that President Trump has had in terms of negotiating some peace deals with uh, Arab countries and Israel, truly really remarkable. And that doesn't happen without American independent, uh, energy independence. Um, and uh, so look, you know, why, why would you, why, no administration would ever kind of abandon that chip. Uh, so I'm, I'm bullish, um, I'm bullish American oil and gas going forward. The global energy demand, while it's taking a hit with the coronavirus, is not, it's not going down. And renewables are going to be an important part of that. But the products that come from oil and gas, you know, everything in this room, you know, is made from oil and gas. And, uh, you know, the electrification of the global car fleet is, further away than anybody wants to believe. And, you know, the power plants are going to charge those electric cars. You know, there's a large number of them are going to be natural gas fired. Uh, I think <clears throat> our overall economy, you know, I'm significantly concerned with the, the number of, obviously here we sit on what, November 13th, Friday the 13th, and, you know, COVID cases in the U S are spiking. You know, there's talk, it, more, more states are locking down again. It's it's not going to be good for the U.S. economy. It's interesting as I talk to friends of mine that are in blue states versus red states, and the, when I think about where we are here today in Texas, and like, look, you know, my wife works in healthcare, and case like case numbers are, are spiking and going up, and you know, hospitals are you know, starting to you know, approach some sort of close to capacity levels and opening up wings and things like that in order to deal with this. Texas by and large though, feels like it's getting back to a semblance of normal. Now we'll see if that is the case if, you know, that is the case if cases continue to keep spiking, you know, I don't know. I struggle with the idea that Texas is going to shut it all down again. Um, just because I think everybody's realizing that that hasn't been good for people's kind of, mental and emotional health. Um, now there will, you know, does it turn into a public health crisis if we don't kind of slow down some of the spread? I, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the epidemiologist. I, I don't know, but when I talk to folks in, in particularly in blue States, they're living in a very different world than we are down here in Texas. And you know, I talked to one of my great friends. Um, he lives in New York. Uh, he was in the city now is on a long Island and, you know, they have a very different reality than the one that we have down here in terms of their ability to kind of operate freely and feel like they're, you know, in, you know, in some sort of semblance of normal California, the same way. Uh, I talked to one of my really good friends and <clears throat> former roommates when I was in the Marine Corps and he's opening like all of the Dunkin' Donuts in San Diego County. You should have him on your podcast to be hilarious. Former Marine helicopter pilot. Um, just a remarkable uh, human, but they're like San Diego County is locking things back down. Um, and you would think he, you would think he would be l suffering massively. He's like, he's like, I haven't opened the one sh one showroom or what does he call them? Whatever the in inside store. He's like, my drive throughs are literally going ballistic. He's like, I got hour long waits in the drive through right now. It's like, I can't get cars <laughs> through. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, but you know, but other than that, I mean, he's that you know, the 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 shutdowns are all happening. Schools are schools are being are, are looking at closing schools again. I mean, it's just 
It's tough. And I don't know, you know, we can armchair quarterback it to death. I, I feel like, you know, sadly, I feel like a lot of the you know, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, uh, term from you know, the, the book you asked me to read, the, the, techni- the technocrats wasted their credibility with the first, the first wave. Um, Did you actually read that? Um, I'm like, well, I haven't read it. I've listened to listened it. Listen to it. Yeah. I'm like 30 minutes from the end. Okay. Um, so you pretty much gotten through the book. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, but the book he's referring to is The Storm Before the Calm by George Friedman. Yeah. Um, so, like, I think I'm concerned about the number, like, the unemployment numbers. Uh, I think seemingly there's going to have to be another stimulus deal uh, done in order to basically keep people paying their bills, keep people from getting evicted, keep people, keep food on the tables. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, we've, already launched the most massive stimulus program that's ever been conceived of uh, and it wasn't enough. Like, what is, like, what does that, what's the end state? You know, cause that we can't live on free money forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's concerning uh, to me as well. I mean, you read, <clears throat> like you read enough zero edge, you're like this debt problem is eventually going to become a problem. Um, so I don't know what the end state looks like. I think, you know, it's, I'm cautious in terms of how I'm thinking about sort of managing my own cash and you know how I'm spending my money and what I'm spending my money on and um, thinking about how you know how I live my life sort of responsibly in case things you know do get significantly more tumultuous in terms of whether it's you know COVID related or you know some sort of debt crisis or you know seemingly you know we've been we've quote unquote been in a economic expansion and a bull market for you know, the longest bull market in history without really having a correction. I mean, you could say that March was a correction, March and April was a correction, but, you know, I mean, I don't know that there's such thing as a two month recession. Um, you know, the markets dropped, but you know, the stimulus insulated everybody from that. You know, you could say that we're technically in a recession today, but people aren't behaving like it's a recession because of, the amount of stimulus has been pumped in. Still living in and, La La Land. And the expectation yeah. that there's more stimulus coming. Look, I mean, the housing market is going ballistic. Um, the stock market's at all-time highs. Uh, you know, when the uh, when the COVID vaccine was, you know, quote-unquote announced that there was 90% efficacious the other day, you know, the stock markets went up by 1,800 points and, like, you know, at the open. Uh, obviously, didn't stay that high, but that... W- I mean, you would think, okay, it's 90% efficacious and everybody got the vaccine that day, right? Like that would, that was that market reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're months and months and months away from being able to distribute the vaccine, I think in any, any real numbers. So I think we got a lot of wood to chop ahead of us and, you know, these obviously extremely uh, sort of disjointed uh, to put it lightly, political times, where there's essentially no agreement, no compromise between the two political parties. It's not making it any better or easier. And everybody is, you know, both sides are, have drawn their lines and doing everything they can in order to prevent the other side from getting any quote unquote political wins. So now, you know, stimulus, any, any future stimulus is now in question. Now, whether or not that continues, you know, I don't know, seemingly, there's going to be enough squealing from the American public that something has to get done, especially with cases, cases rising. But 
I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be a really wild ride. And, you know, I'm, I'm not super bullish. And I mean, I, I seemingly, it feels like we're overdue for some sort of real correction, but I don't know what the catalyst for that's going to be. Um, that, that creates that correction, um, or some sort of, um, you know, I mean, we, we, we need to take our medicine at some point. Um, this has been going on for quite some time, but seemingly more stimulus on the horizon. So yeah, if the party's going to go on for a little while longer, it seems like. Well, so I want to throw out a statement and you respond to it. So you know me, I'm an information junkie and I, it's all I do from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. is studying headlines, multiple publications, just looking for indicators. And over a third of U.S. jobs in the United States fall in the restaurant, retail, hospitality, transportation for travel, hotels, all, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. More than a third, actually, I think. Um, I heard a different statistic the other day, but I haven't had a chance to confirm that, that was saying that it was quite a bit more than that. And then I look at where those same industries are just absolutely taking it in the chin right now. That not that I want this, but I think the data is pointing to 20% or higher unemployment, not necessarily maybe in one region, but mm -hmm. the point you made mm -hmm. the other day, we had this conversation from coast to coast, 20% or higher unemployment by the end of August, 2021. I mean, I'm not seeing any reason to not believe that to be true. Uh, that you know, read a headline today that said that <clears throat> if 40 or 50 percent of the hotels in New York City were open in a year, that would be a great outcome. Yeah. How much did you just say? If 40 to 50 percent of the hotels in New York City were open in a year, that would be a great outcome. The reason I I, I heard it, but I I wanted you to say it again because I. I this is the kind of stuff that I want the listeners to be able to let that one soak in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're going to have, a, I think we're going to see a lot of business. I mean, there's a businesses are not able to service their debt. Uh, there's going to be, there's going to be more restructurings. I, I think the, I think the initial, I guess, CARES Act, the initial stimulus that, that <clears throat> got some money in the hands of companies in order to get them through the, the, the May, you know, May, June timeframe, uh, well-intentioned. And I think by and large, reasonably well executed. Um, and you know, I think a lot of companies took advantage of that. And I think it gave them the life, you know, the initial lifeline to get through now, but there's no solving, like there isn't enough stimulus in the world to solve the, the restaurant business problem, the, hospitality, you know, by and large, most, most hotels business problem, um, the airline business problem, um, how, like what those industries look like coming on the backside of this. It's, you know, cause they're all going to be completely different, uh, completely different. So when I was interviewing John Bonnell and man, a real emotional response from him where he's got 265 employees and he was only able to retain 31. And since then, now eight months later, almost eight months later to the date, he's only been able to bring back half. 
because things at 50% capacity. He goes, look, we yeah. went to 75% capacity, but when you got to have all the tables six feet apart, he goes, you're still at 50% capacity yeah. because you don't have that much room in there. Yep. And then, and who this is really going to affect is this is going to affect the $10 an hour worker, mm-hmm. right? Because the $10 an hour worker, yeah, there's some standard deviations in there that are going to be able to go get other jobs, sure. But for for the most part, they're not lining up to get engineering jobs and doctor jobs and all these other jobs. And that is a large bulk of the jobs out there. And so now people are not only not having jobs, but not having disposable income to go spend on that very same industry that they work in, in the retail and the restaurants and, and, and whatnot that I, I just... I have a hard time seeing any data that suggests anything different. But the thing is, is my opinion about all this wasn't just COVID driven. I mean, in August 2019, and I was doing a a speaking event and somebody says, hey, so you're in real estate. What do you think about the economy? And I says, well, I said, you got the stock market doing the stock market thing. But I mean, 90% of the stocks are owned by 10% of the shareholders, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, you got the real estate market that's going gangbusters. I mean, you just refied your house, right? What did you, what did, what interest rate did you get? Two and a quarter. <laughs> I just can't even, I can't even wrap my head around it. So what was it before you refied it? Uh, uh, three and 3.35 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So you dropped the whole complete point. So you cut your payment, you cut your interest in a third. Yeah. And already you had the terrific, terrific, terrific rate. rate. Yeah. So naturally, people that are still qualified to buy houses can, and and here's the thing is, even if you shrink the number of people that are qualified, we've been upside down on inventory for so long anyways, that it's really not going to affect that too much. Just instead of having 20 people bid on a house, you might only have like five now, right? In that more affordable spot. Well, and look, I mean, I look at Barbara and I, I mean, look, she works in healthcare and, you know, she's driving real major policy changes at, at, uh, you know, at her hospital and you know, her, her job is seemingly safe. She's uh, making a massive difference every day. You know, both of us, I think are, you know, quite fortunate in terms of like, you know, the impact that COVID has had on my life. Other, <clears throat> I, it's, you know, it was a wild summer, right? I and mean, I had to, you know, we laid off 50% of our employees, you know, it was terrible. Um, you know, it's the second time in my career where I've had to go through massive layoffs. I mean, in 2015, I mean, you know, at FTS, we went from 4,000 employees to 1,000. Mm. Um, so, you know, staring staring people in the face and telling them that you got to lay them off, is that's one of the most miserable experiences. That, you know, I don't wish that on anybody. I'd um, rather be shot at again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, certainly more fun. You get to shoot back. Right? <laughs> um, but uh, it, yeah, we've, we, I mean, we've weathered the storm quite, quite well, but at, at the end of the day, um, like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of people that worked for me that have not been, you know, have not been able to have them weather the store storm as well. Uh, it's been great to see, there's been a lot of guys that we laid off that, uh, we've been able to bring back, bring back. Uh, it's fun when you, like I go out and visit job sites is, as often as kind of I can, at least at least once a week, I'm, I'm out in West Texas and you know hit a job site out there, and I run into guys. And you know, I saw a guy the other day that, um, you know, the first time I met him, this is probably a year ago, and he he kind of freaked out. He's like, "Man, I've met, I've worked here for two years and I've never met you." And he's like, "You were like a myth." <laughs> uh, and then I and then we then we laid him off, and he was you know he was a, he was a 
great hand. But, you know, we just, you know, we had to make a really, really tough decision. I and mean, we got so, so skinny with one crew running in West Texas. We were so skinny. And then uh, we brought him back and I ran into him the other day and I said, hey, you know, it, you know I, I, I know him by name. And I said, hey, it's, you know, it's good to have you back. He's like, you remember my name? He's like, you knew I was gone? I was like, of course I knew you were gone, you know? And I'm glad to have you back, right? You know, yeah. And like that stuff, like, man, you go get to look guys in the eye. And, you know, the jobs that we have for guys, I mean, these guys these guys get paid well. Um, they get paid well and they work a lot of hours. And they work hard and they work two weeks on one week off. Um, but they all they all make a solid middle ca- middle class wage. We take care of them. You know, we put them in, you know, we put them in hotels or man camps where they're, you know, they get three meals a day paid for by us. They've got a nice room that's got their own bathroom. People hear man camp, they think it's a freaking, you know, a tent. I stay in the man camps when I go out to West Texas. You know, you got a full size bed, clean sheets, clean bathroom place. I mean, they clean those rooms so well. There's zero chance that and you walk in, you can smell the disinfectant, right? Because you know? <laughs> they're worried about that. I mean, that's, yeah. they got to keep those rooms clean and um, so that people feel confident in it. And, you know, taking care of guys and, you know, seeing those guys be successful and seeing those guys, you know, their genuine excitement to be, you know, back to work um, and and helping us grow the company. It's, I mean, look, it, that's just, it's just fun. It's really fun to see. Uh, and it's extremely satisfying and gives you a lot of, uh, you know, just proud of the team, really proud of the team and what they've been able to accomplish. And quite frankly, in the past two months has been just absolute gangbusters going from three crews to nine crews and or eight or nine crews and got three more coming in December. You know, it's just, you know, we've had to quintuple our head count, right? It's it's crazy. So, but fun. That's great, man. So you've had one hell of a ride for your life, right? I mean, I mean, going from a tree farm growing up to the Marine Corps, <coughs> spec ops, MBA, and, and you know, and, and even watching, I I remember what well, you and I were eating a burger. The wives, I think both wives are out of town. Your wife's out of town. My wife's out of town. And I called you and I said, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, Barb's out of town with some friends. I said, hey, Laura's gone. Let's go get a beer and, and a burger at Fred's. And we were sitting here talking. And I remember when you told me, you're like, yeah, we're getting ready to take FTS public. And I was like, weren't you like broke like just a couple months ago? And you were like, America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I remember also when mm-hmm. you were going through the very tough decision of man i mean i literally and anybody that me anybody would ever walk in a room and say they don't like buddy i, I would look at him and i would question that person's you need to have him on the soul. show oh it, trust me he's <laughs> on the list he is on the list you know but watching how hard that decision was for you to lead there to you know go to tss but i mean look successful people are successful people because they don't get to make easy decisions all the time, right? I mean, you've you've literally had a lifetime of making unpopular and hard decisions. And and it's kind of funny. It's, it, it, the thing I've always seen like with you is it's almost like this double-sided coin nemesis is like you want to be the problem solver, but what comes with it is well, you're solving some problems with some unpopular <laughs> tough stuff you got to do, right? Yeah. And uh, so with all that being said, if you had to go back to 22-year-old Jamie, and there's a million things you could tell yourself at that point. What would be the one thing if you're like, if you don't listen to anything else, just do or don't do this? Um, well, I mean, 
as you know, I, I can be quite opinionated. Um, <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> saying so. <laughs> um, yeah, if I were to go back, I, I, like I would probably tell myself to, uh, you know, hold, hold, bite your tongue for a, a few more seconds and listen uh, for a few seconds longer before you blurt out with extreme confidence why you know you're right, even though you, you why, or why you, why you're convinced you're right and, and they're wrong. Um, uh, probably would have done me a little bit of good. Um, I think it was, it wasn't until I got to grad school and got to approach learning with a goal of just wanting to look, to learn the material and get, and like, gain as much as possible from the people I was surrounded from that I actually kind of really, I think took that in. You know, I was at the Naval Academy with, I, I, I don't remember a thing I learned in any classroom at the Naval Academy. It was the only p- purpose of being there was getting to the other side so you could then go be in the military as far as I was concerned. I didn't care about, and I majored in English because it was the easiest <laughs> degree I, or easiest major I could think of, right? It was just about getting through. I mean, I, I've told, I mean, I remember telling people in my time myself, like, it doesn't matter what I major in here. It matters that I went here and got through and then went on to do interesting things afterwards. Nobody cares about what I majored in in the Naval Academy. Who cares? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it wasn't until I got to grad school where I was like, actually, I was there with the, pur- like, with the purpose of like, I don't care how I do in the class. I care that I learn something. Um, and so... So taking a step back and, you know, just letting, like absorbing more from the people around you and, and, and learning more from the people around you, I, I, it would have done me more good to slow down a little bit and listen a little bit more, uh, and talk a lot less when I was younger. So. And so if anybody wants to find out about total sand solutions, where do they go? Um, we're on the web. Uh, it's uh, tssands.com. Uh, we have a terrific marketing person who we've got, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. You can see pictures of our trucks and our people and our equipment doing what they do. Uh, we've got a, gr- a tremendous office here in downtown Fort Worth with a with a world-class kind of operations center that it looks like something out of, you know, some people have said NASA, other people have said some sort of military control center. Um, it has people in it. The rest of the office doesn't have any people in it. <laughs> <Nobody else is. laughs> um, yeah, there's a handful of us there. The ops team shows up every day. There's a handful of us that are there every day, but you know, our tech team was dying. They were dying to work from home prior to COVID. And then when COVID hit, they, started working from home and I don't think they ever come back. Yeah. Uh, we got like 10 developers that, you know, you get, if you get one of them to show up like for a day, you're like, Oh man, tech team's here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the account, the accounting team they're Yeah. They're never coming back. I don't think they've been, they've been super productive from home. And I think by and large, most of them, you know, when they need to come in, they come in, but otherwise like, I think the face of work is, has changed drastically. I think that's the other, one of the other sides of the coin on the economy is like commercial real estate is fundamentally impaired for, I think, a long, long time. Yeah. Um, if you got companies like ours that are telling, like, that are, have 50% of the corporate workforce working from home, probably at least 50% of the corporate workforce working from home, you know, we're like 
or a freaking trucking company in the energy space. Like you want to think of any type of company that probably should be backwards forcing people to show up to work every day. Like, you know, we don't need it. Yeah. Um, I mean, we got a great office. I'll sublease you some space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a really cool office, but yeah. you know, we don't, you know, we're, we're I don't know, 30% capacity right now. Yeah. So. And it was funny because y'all had just moved into that space. Yeah. November. It was two years. Yeah. Almost two years ago to the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. More or less. Yeah. It was November of, uh, what year is it? Yeah, November so we're in 20 yeah. now. So yeah. it was 18. Yeah. 18. Y'all had just yeah. moved in there right yeah. for the end of 18. If I yeah. remember right. November of 18 is when we moved yeah. in there. So, but yeah. I mean, we're in a good spot. We got we have what we need. We got plenty of room for growth now. <laughs> 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 well, brother, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it's and, been a pleasure. Uh, sharing the wisdom. And it was funny because earlier you were like oh why are you tired all you do is run your mouth and i told you i said i hardly talk on this and you go i listen to your podcast and i was like were you really listening because you did most of the talking here or maybe i just purposely shut up so that way i can say well yeah we're on yours you did all the talking yeah so, yeah, yeah yeah but hey um you know as a as a you know fellow marine and you know veteran you know thanks for what you've done and um man and you're out there i mean coo of a company that's just doing good things and even though you had to make hard decisions you're able to also bounce back and you know like you said the, the guy that didn't even think you knew his name and you're like i'm glad you're back yeah so, yeah so yeah. just trying to do the best i can making a couple of mistakes here and there that's for sure oh i we that that happens to all of us right well thanks again for coming on yeah man. I appreciate absolutely you. my pleasure all right, all right.